Today's uh, word, the title of this message is Intentional Pursuit. I want you to look like the logo. I want you to get a vision of the logo here today. God gave me a logo for it. So it's capital I-P with a big circle around it. Okay? I-P. When I start talking to you about IP or your IP or God's IP, you know what I mean. God's intentional pursuit and your intentional pursuit. Amen? So that is the message today that God has for us. As I said earlier this morning, God is in the house. I thank you for the prayers that have gone on here today and, and all through eternity to bring us to where we are right now. We're in the season of miracles. We're in the season of miracles. We are in the season of Passover. And that was loaded with miracles. It was loaded with angelic visitation. It was loaded with power from the Holy Spirit on high. It was loaded with God's love being projected and, and God's plan. God's plan for who? For humanity. For every man, woman, and child. God's intentional pursuit and plan for all of creation. For this world. For planet Earth. God had his plan and his intentional pursuit. And it is for good. I hear that my Bible reads, he has a plan for you. And it's not for harm. It's not for bad. It's not for uh-ohs. It's not for disasters. It's not for nuclear wars. It's not for any of that. It's not for trauma and drama. Those aren't his that That is not what his plans are. They are for good. And if there's any drama involved, it's for dramatic transformation and your part in changing this world. Amen? Amen. I don't know about you, but I, I, I've taken another seat. I've obeyed God and I've surrendered. And as much as the enemy tried to pull that seat from, out, from under me this week, come on, and push me around, I'm not going to surrender it. As much as I totally normally, when I get pounded by the enemy that much, I withdraw. I'm like, I can't take it. I'm just going to, I'm going to back off. Nobody will know. Nobody will know. Come on. Come on. Nobody will know. I can, I can, I can still be me. I can still inspire you. I can pray for you. But nobody will know. But I'm going to tell you what. I'm here to voice it today. I have an intent and a purpose to just like we sang today, to surrender all, all of it, and to obey God and what he asked me to do. Come on. He's been asking me to do it. I'm going to stay in the seat. I don't know. If, it, if, it, if this seat winds up having wheels on it, then push me around. Come on. You know what I'm talking about? If this seat that God has called me to sit in winds up having wheels on it, then somebody, I'm inviting, I'm asking all of you here, then push me around because I don't intend to stop and I don't intend to back down. 
I'm not going to let the enemy push me around. Only the saints can push me around if, if the seat has wheels on it. I don't know where all that came from. It is definitely not in my notes. But again, we are in the season of miracles. It is called Passover. Some of you don't even know what's Passover. Well, look at that banner back there. Christ, our Passover. That is actually a quote from the Bible. Jesus is the Passover. He is Christ, our Passover. You see, how many of you, so, so I'm here to ask you questions. Please respond with a hand or a nod or something. How many of you know anything about Passover? Raise your hand. Oh, I've got some people here. I like that. Uh, okay. How many of you have ever seen the movie The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston? The big, dramatic. It was one of the first movies I ever went to when I was a little kid, and my family actually went to something that was godly. <laughs> you know, we went to the drive-in theater and we watched The Ten Commandments. I was like, wow. This movie has been around for many, many decades. Before long, it'll be century old. But, you know, they play it every year on TV. Up to this point in time, I have never gone through an Easter week or something like that where the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston holding the staff up and having the great waves part and God's people walking through and the enemy pursuing them and then a flame came and it kept the Egyptian chariots back and then all of a sudden the last ones are just getting over on the dry land and you're like are they going to make it are they going to make it they're out to really do them in this time and then the waters start crashing in on the enemy come on I'm talking it's it's some of uh, dramatic arts of the finest kind and there's plenty of other remakes on the story. If you don't know about this story, then go to your Bible. It's one of the first few books in your Bible. Look up Exodus. Exodus is the exodus of God's people from slavery to freedom. Actually, in that movie, you get to see the first Passover meal. Come on. That the people ever partook of. They had to take a lamb and eat it. That meant the lamb had to die. They were to take the blood and put it on the doorposts of their houses. You know what a doorpost is? That's that wood stuff that your mother tells you to quit touching because she has to wipe the fingerprints off of it all the time. Come on. Come on. I just had to clean mine, and I thought, who has had these grimy hands in here? Come on. But they covered it. They covered the fingerprints. They covered all the dirt. They covered everything that was on those doorposts with the blood of that lamb. And every household that had that blood on it, where do you see this movie? It is like, like if you go, oh, the Old Testament store and all that stuff, it's just way over my head. I don't get it. Hey, this is a story you get to watch. You get to see it. Now they've thrown in, you know, they take some... Uh, uh, movie uh, liberties to throw in some love stories. But, you know, it's real life. People live just like there, there were love stories. There was heartache in the story. There was a mother's love. There were lover's love. There were children's hurts. You know, everything they were going through is in the story. You can love it. But they put this blood. They put the blood on the doorpost. 
And wherever, so there was a lot of plagues. You're going to see how God tried to get Pharaoh to let his people go, and he kept resisting. But guess what? I told you earlier today, uh, the Bible ends. God has the victory, and he wins every time. I mean, who thinks they're going to fight with God and win? Guess what? Not going to happen. And so this is a story. Wherever the plague of death that went through, and it's really amazing. I still love the special effects today. It was a movie with some of the first really special effects in Hollywood. It's kind of this green, eerie thing going around the town. And as it would go to the house where the blood was, it would not come upon it, and there would be no death in that household. It would go on. Because why? Because the death plague saw the blood, and those people were spared. God's people were spared. Now, this is the first story of Passover. And for generations, they continued. You know, the end of the story is they win, they leave. It's the exodus. They leave Egypt. It's powerful. We've shown it here a few times in the sanctuary. But it's a powerful story. And I want to translate that to where Jesus Christ became our Passover. This is what we're talking about now. I'm not here to give you every jot and tittle principle on principle about it, but I want you to think about what this means to us today. You'll see that movie, and that's what they did then. They celebrated that for millennia, for thousands of years. And they celebrated the Feast of Passover, this feast, this dinner with God that lasts seven days of celebration. They celebrated it with in mind, in mind of the blood of that lamb that was on the doorpost, that the death passed over them, and the end result is they left, it's a freedom story to them, they left their slavery to freedom as God's people. These were not the Jews, these were the Hebrews. These were the Hebrews. They were Hebrews, and they were God's people. It wasn't all Hebrews. Some of the Egyptians went with them. There was a mixed multitude of people that came out of Egypt with them. Are you getting it? And God blessed them all. He he took all, so it was kind of an immigrant-looking crowd (laughs) that God was calling out to a new land of promise to a new promised land. So this story now translated 2,000 some odd years after Moses' first Passover turned into a new meal, a new Passover meal. Come on. Some of us call it the Last Supper. Any of you seen the picture of the Last Supper and the disciples and Jesus and they're around a table? Uh, I don't know that there were tables in. They used to recline around and eat like that. They weren't like low tables. But, but we'll give it to the, to the uh, great historic account of that. We know that in our mind. The Last Supper. I want to change the name of it for you today. I want to call it the First Supper. It was the First Supper. It was the first new meal of the true Passover meal. It was the first supper. 
And what was there? What was there on the menu that night? Uh, who knows what was there? Jesus said, I, I, I can't tell all of you how much I've desired to eat the Passover. They had been there preparing and on this particular night when they were gathered together, I've desired to eat this Passover with you. I've earnestly desired to do it. But there's issues coming on tonight. You probably didn't have much of an appetite. Come on. They might have, I, I don't know what was on the serving for dinner that night. But this is what Jesus served up. And this is what I'm talking about. This is the new meal. This is the Passover meal. This is the Passover meal that you and I celebrate. This is the Passover meal that we eat anytime we want to, but especially during the season, we eat the lamb. And the lamb is the lamb of God, who is Jesus. And he said, you partake of my body. And he took out a loaf of bread, and he broke it. And it was unleavened bread, probably, because it was the season they were sweeping the leaven out of their house. The leaven is a rising agent to make the bread rise. And it was a tradition, okay? This was only a tradition. It wasn't a commandment of God. But it was a tradition that they had done. When God, see, when they had that first meal, they didn't have time to let the bread rise in Egypt. They just made some bread and they threw it on. It was kind of crackly kind of stuff. So years down with tradition, they decided to do like a spring cleaning of their houses. And whoever decided that that was what you had to do, I'm just saying, it's not in the Bible. But there is a tradition, and it's something that we do around this season. We start sweeping out the old. We call it spring cleaning, don't we? That's what the world calls it today. We're all like, I haven't got my spring cleaning done. I want to get to that. I'm going to clean up the yard. We're getting, it really comes from this sweeping out the leaven. Getting rid of the debris. Right? You tracking with me? And we all do it. We just didn't know. It's a Passover season thing. It's a tradition. And it reminds us that we're getting rid of the leaven. The stuff we don't have to have. Because you can eat bread without it. And it tastes pretty darn good. And Jesus took out a loaf of bread and he broke it. And he said, hey, I'm here to bless this now. I'm blessing the dinner. And we know the ingredients of that meal. Others can come up with their ideas about what was on the table. But for Jesus, there were two main entrees, two articles of the main entree. It was the appetizer, it was the main entree, and it was dessert to boot, all in two items. And it was the bread. And he said, this bread is broken for you. And this bread represents my body that is broken for you. It's about to be torn in pieces. Everybody's going to get a chance to get a bite of me. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Come on. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And then he lifted a cup, and the wine was in this cup. And he said, and he lifted the club, and he blessed that too. And he said, this is my blood. It was an analogy. The wine is red. Red is blood. 
And he said, this is my blood shed for you. This was the first Passover meal in the new covenant because the old covenant now was about to pass away. We would not partake of it. I eat cedar meals, cedar meals. You know, I've been to them. I've done them. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I rejoice that there's at least enough vision for that, for my friends to do that. It's something in our heritage of our family that goes way back in the Old Testament times. When people around New England start telling me about all their lineage that goes back in genealogy that goes to the Mayflower, I mean, it is pretty exciting. Like, my family came in the Mayflower, or my family came from Jamestown, or whatever. I get excited with them. And they go, do you know where your genealogy comes from? And I go, well, actually, I do. And they go, well, how far back can you go? And I said, well, it goes back a long time. And they go, well, how far back can you go? And I go, mine? Oh, they go, Europe? You know what? And I go, yeah, it goes, it's all over the place. I said, it goes back to Adam. Adam and Eve. Because they are the father and mother of us all. Come on. Adam and Eve are the mother and the father of us all. And so I just want you to know you've got some good information today if you didn't know that and you get in a genealogy or getting online or taking your DNA and sending some, you know, I'm staying out of all the controversies concerning that, but I'm telling you, we got a big family. Some of them were positive characters and some of them were some pretty, pretty tough hombres. Come on. They didn't do everything right. But some of them are heroes. Some of my family are heroes of the faith. Abraham is my father. Come on. Jacob. Isaac. There's heroes of the faith. David. Uh, 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 somebody was talking about one of them this morning. Jehoshaphat. I mean, we, we've got some heroes of the faith in God. They're all my family. Sometimes our genealogy doesn't look too good in the more recent that you find out, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm related to uh, who shot the sheriff. You know, I mean, that kind of stuff. But I want to focus on the good. I, I want to I get into that DNA that went down the generational lines and I want to ask God to anoint it in my life for such a time as this. I want to be intentional about it. I want to intentionally pursue God. I'm so far off track now. But are you getting it? The blood. Where does this blood of the Lamb of Jesus go over? It goes over the doorposts. He said, whoever so will receive this and drink the wine, my blood, that, that blood goes over the doorposts of your heart. It goes over the doorposts of your house. It goes over all of your possessions. I like to sprinkle it on my bills and my bank accounts. Amen? I like to see that happening all over. The blood. Let, yeah, Satan have a death bomb to throw at that? Guess what? Can't happen because the blood of Jesus is sprinkled on that. Guess what? Stay away. Get off that. Don't even think about it. Because we know where to send you in a second. Amen? With your evil plan. So I just want to say, Jesus, that is the new meal. We call that communion or the Eucharist. 
Communion, I love that term, and I'll tell you why. Because it represents, communion means common union. Common union. It doesn't mean the kings and the queens and the important meal union. Come on. It it doesn't mean leaders only union. It doesn't mean going back to civil rights days. It does not mean for white only. Come on. This is common union of humanity of all creation and what God has to say about that is whosoever will whosoever will decide to take a sip of the cup even even crumbs of the bread however you begin to eat this meal and receive this whosoever will will receive the salvation of my Lord. It's all about Him. It's all about Him. It's all about Him. I want to tell you, Jesus has been, in that day, in the Passover season, season of miracles, it repeats itself constantly. We're moving over with the story, increasing and getting bigger every year that we celebrate Passover. It increases because that's God's nature. It's got to get bigger than the one before it. It has to. No matter what you think, it's not about our opinions. Jesus, at that time, when he was with the disciples, we're just a couple of weeks away from Easter, guys. A couple, three weeks. Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, that we're going to be celebrating. Palm Sunday, the grand entrance, Hosanna. We're just a few weeks away from that. We're in the season. During those last three weeks of Jesus' life, he was in IP mode, intentional pursuit mode. He had one thing, to serve and obey God in every aspect because God so loved the world that he sent him. Intentional pursuit. Intentional pursuit. He's continued in con- intentional pursuit for two, more than 2,000 years. In fact, what I want to say, since his death on the cross, but what I want to say is my Bible reads that Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. Come on, before God even created it, before there was even a heaven and an earth, he was the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world, and he has been who knows how many millions, uh, who knows what time and, and the way we think of it, because in the heavenly world there is no time as we know it. But how could we, it, it's from the beginning. He is the alpha and the omega. It's part of the beginning. And Jesus has been in per, intentional pursuit since that time. Are you loving this? Is this is this message from God today? Is God speaking to your heart? Is He writing this on your heart? 
because I think you're all going to walk away with some kind of a tattoo somewhere on you. If it's in the spirit on your body, I don't know, it's going to be a big capital IP with a circle around it, a circle of love, a circle of passion, a circle of desire, a circle of prophetic words and destiny, intentional pursuit from the Godhead, intentional pursuit, whatever it took, IP, you're marked with his intentional pursuit. You are stamped with his intentional pursuit. It's personal. We're talking out generals here. Hey, it's personal. You don't get much more personal than a tattoo on your body. Come on. Well, if it's a spiritual one, that's what I see in all of you. That wasn't in my notes. That's coming from heaven right here. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for your word, and thank you, God, because I thought this was impossible today. But all things are impossible when we surrender to him. Just when you think there isn't any more to give or that he couldn't use you because everything's breaking down in you, God moves. In Mark 14, 1, 9, if you're writing down scriptures, I'm not going to have time to go through it all. Mark, it's one of the Gospels. It's from what, written by Mark, one of the very witnesses. I heard somebody talking about witnesses. He was a witness. He walked with Jesus. He wrote a book about it. It's his testimony. It's his story of what, from his perspective. So each one has a different perspective because we're all unique creations. And in this story, in chapter 14 in Mark, Mark tells us a story about a gal named Mary and Jesus. They'd been in Jerusalem. You all have a picture of what Jerusalem looks like, whatever your picture of that. Well, about two miles away from that, just a couple of miles, it's the distance from church to the co-op store down here. That's not far. They walked from Jerusalem and they went over to Bethany. And that's where they went over to the house of Simon the leper. Oh, by the way, Jesus hung out with the lepers. Jesus hung out with those who were untouchable. We don't know if Simon was there himself, but it was identified as his house because his children lived there. And Lazarus, scholars believe that Lazarus and Martha and Mary lived there. They were his children. Some of the theologians believe that. I believe that. I can see that happening. And, and Simon had been a wealthy man, so this was a large home. Uh, unusual in that times, but there was a place for a large number of people to gather. And they went over for dinner. I'm talking about a week before the cross. Jesus himself knows the countdown. This is before the Last Supper meal, just a few days later, that we talked about the bread and the wine. But they go over and they're hanging out for dinner. And we've heard other stories in the, in the New Testament that tell us that Martha was a good cook. And she loved to work. And Mary didn't mind helping her, except when Jesus was around, she didn't want to be in there in the kitchen helping her. She wanted to be at his feet and listen to everything he had to say. And there was another Mary there that day. So there were two Marys. This wasn't Lazarus' sister. This was a gal named Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene had a history. Mary Magdalene had a past. 
It was unsavory. But again, I'm telling you, Jesus didn't mind talking or having fellowship with prostitutes. Come on. I'm talking Jesus ministry. I'm not talking about the Sadducees and the Pharisees and all the other religious people because Jesus understood it's all about relationship. There isn't anything about religion. He's not into that. Jesus isn't into some forming religion. That's man's ideas. Jesus is into relationship. And they were sitting there, and they were about to, you know, you can just imagine. They're there, they're tired, they're hungry. Martha's been cooking. Get the smells, that delicious bread, maybe some pita bread in there, some of those good spices, you know, just some, some dates, whatever was on the table that night. And they had the money to provide something decent. And while they're all sitting around, even Judas was there at this, this night, and Mary Magdalene saw that Jesus was there. She'd been listening. She knew of some of the things that Jesus had said about some stuff, some heavy-duty stuff getting ready to come down. She'd heard through the grapevine and Jesus himself that, you know, he might be going away. Like they couldn't even bear to think of this. But Mary was like, you know what, I've got something, I've got to do it. I've got to let Jesus know what he's done for me and how grateful I am. You see, he, he covered his, her sins with his love. He loved her to life. Through just getting to know him, she became delivered of ever, her demonic past and things that were tormenting her. She was getting healed. He healed her heart. He healed her mind. And he blessed her with acceptance and perfect love that cast out all fear from her that she couldn't be accepted ever again in society because of her past. Are you loving this? And so Mary comes along and she had this beautiful alabaster container And inside of it was very costly essential oils. We all know, some of us have heard about essential oils, but this is an essential oil from that time period. And they called it nard, but it was spike nard. This thing, if you even had one or two drops of it, it would just fill the atmosphere with the snow. And she went up to Jesus where he was sitting, and she broke the alabaster box, because it was completely sealed, and she broke it open, and she poured all of that costly oil. Now, we know that some perfumes are, you know, $1,000 an ounce, maybe even more expensive in today's world. So I don't know how much this was worth, but it was, they said, very costly. A year's wage. Woo! A year's wage, that was that much. And it also will tell you, and there's a couple of stories, accounts of this story, and it says um, that it was genuine. In those days, they would mix it with other oils and, and make it lesser if you couldn't afford it. they take some of the essential oil, mix it in something else so you could use it and still get the effect. But this says that it was genuine. It had not been broken down. That's why it was so costly. And so Judas was there, and he was one that verbalized that he didn't like that. And it was smelling up the whole house. So now 
Now, this spike nerd, this, this nard, had just interfered with the smells of the entire household. You couldn't smell the food anymore because this was overpowering it. It's like you lit a Yankee candle or something, and it's now just changed the odors of the room. You know? It's permeating it. And they're like, where did something this costly come from? And they realize that it could have been purchased by some of Mary Magdalene's past activities. Are you getting my drift? She made money as a prostitute. And they didn't really like that either. Just imagine, if you have a religious spirit, you're not going to like that. It's like, that's disgusting. We know how you got that and came into possession of that. Somebody probably paid you with some of that. And it's like, you're going to pour that over Jesus, the Son of God? Judas didn't like it because he said he was always into money uh, because uh, the Bible tells us that he was pilfering, pilfering the offerings, taking a little for himself. And he says, well, that could have been spent. How many poor people could we have fed and taken care of with that? And I want to read to you now what Jesus had to say to all the conversations and everything that was going on, and she poured it over his feet from his head to his toes. She wiped his feet so he wasn't walking around slipping with her hair. I would like to say, I bet you 10 to 1, because I've read this in the quietness of just pondering it before the Lord, and it's brought tears to my eyes. I bet she had tears of joy, tears of gratitude, tears of everything he'd ever done. And if he was going away soon, this was her moment to tell him what he had done for him and her love for him a week before the cross. Mary had intentional pursuit. Come on. Mary had planned this before she got there because she brought this box with her. I'm sure it wasn't something she just drug around with her everywhere. But she knew they were going there, and she had intentional pursuit of Jesus. And she was going to take the greatest thing, the most expensive thing, that could take care of her for months. If Jesus was leaving, I mean, she's a single. She doesn't have a husband to take care of her and pay for a house overhead. She could have spent that herself. She could have lasted many, many years with this kind of money. She wasn't going to do that. She was giving everything she had. She'd been out of the business, you see, since she met Jesus. She was just serving him. And she took it and she gave her all. She gave everything she had and she poured it upon him to anoint him with it. They understood there was practices of anointing people with oil. And this is what Jesus had to say in verses 6 through 9. Jesus said... Let her alone. I like that. It was just plain and direct. Let her alone. Let her alone. Can you imagine how his three words, with all that stuff going on in their minds about the whole situation, Jesus opens his mouth finally and says, Let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. For the poor, you always have with you. And whenever you wish, you can do them good. But you do not always have me with you. In 
flesh and blood here. She has done what she could. She has done what she could. He understood her intentional pursuit and that that was all that she had to show and give him her love. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial that was barely a week away. And truly, I say to you, that means, and I'm telling you, that means this is the truth. This is a guarantee. You know, how we talk in our, I guarantee you this is what's going to happen. I'm telling you the truth on this fact. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, the whole world, I'm not talking about there. I'm not talking about the neighborhood. I'm not talking about Israel or the Palestine or the Holy Land. It says in the whole world. That means every nation and wherever people are to hear, people sharing them about Jesus. That also which this woman has done shall be spoken of in memory of her. Come on, quote. And what are we doing? Over 2,000 laters, we're talking about what Mary did. And it's blessing your heart. It's piercing your mind. It's piercing strongholds that might have a hold on you from giving Jesus everything. Your heart, your love, the things you are in stewardship over, your money, come on. Your words, your love, your adoration. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Jesus. I love how he defends what is good. I love how he speaks right down the middle of it and defines what is good and what isn't. There was a lot of talk there, you see, about what was good and what wasn't. And he just leveled it. And he said, this is good. This is what she's doing. Let me... Let me help in this conversation to get you into what? Intentional pursuit. Intentional pursuit of Jesus. I want to tell you, Passover is about intentional pursuit. Jesus had to have that in his spirit. He had to have that in his gut. He had to have it in his thinking to keep him moving forward to a cross that meant blood and death and guts and heartache and pain and betrayal and every other evil thing that could come upon him. He had to have intentional pursuit with his father. He had to have intentional pursuit where God's plans were for you and me. He had to have intentional pursuit that nothing would stop him from drinking the cup that was being presented to him to drink. Not for himself, but for all of humanity and every person gathered in this room and every person that's within the sound of my voice and his message today.
intentional pursuit. I want to read to you Colossians. I want to read to you what Paul had to say about the the intentional pursuit of God. And I'm almost there. Lay hold of this. Get this deep in your spirit. If you're feeling like you're too full, then expand yourself. You know what to do. You're sitting there. You've just downed three courses, appetizers, main entree, and everything you could snitch off somebody else's plate, and they come out with dessert. And some people are going, I'm too full. I don't think I can have it. I'm telling you, dessert is coming. So expand yourself and get ready to lay hold of a little bit more. Come on. Last course is coming. Chapter 1, verses of Colossians, verses 19 through 20. And not holding fast to the head, meaning Jesus, who is the head of the church, from whom the entire body, it means all the people, all the living stones, all the people that are part of the family of God. And not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. Common union together with the body of Christ, with the blood of Jesus. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? which all refer to the things that are simply destined to perish with using. I want to drop down to verse 13. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. We are moving away from all of that. Amen? We have moved away from all of that because God's intentional pursuit, God's intentional pursuit, it's God's heart. It is what is God. What is Holy Spirit? What is Jesus intentionally pursuing right now over the next three months? Let's let's put a marking calendar. Mark your calendar three months from now, and we'll readdress this then. What's on the intentional pursuit calendar for the next three months in God's plan for you, in pursuing you? You know he's after you right now. You know he's speaking to you. You know he's telling you to stop wasting a lot of time and set your heart on some things that he's doing right now. Yeah, you know he's pursuing you. 
He's trying to renew your mind that you're saying, oh, I don't have enough time to help with that. I don't have enough time to throw into that. Boy, that's going to be a lot of my time. A lot of my time. Oh, whoa, that could cost me some money. Come on. Intentional pursuit. What's on God's heart with you? You see, it isn't about those things I just told you. It's about your heart and him getting ready to prepare it to be used in the next three months. To do what? To reach out to humanity. To touch lives in your neighborhood, where you live, in your family, at the bus stops, on the bus, traveling. It's wherever you are. God has an intentional pursuit to touch your heart and readjust things in your life, just like he did with Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene had no idea what God's intentional pursuit was until Jesus came and changed her past life and renewed her focus, her focus on him and the new life. You don't have to be a part of the past life. When Jesus forgives sins, God says when God forgives sins, he puts them in the sea of forgetfulness and he doesn't bring them up. The only time they get brought up again is when you're harping on it or you went back to something. Come on! I don't care what somebody else is saying about you. I don't care if people are talking about it. I don't care if they go, well, what about Mary Magdalene's past? Come on. I'm not, she's, you know, uh, she's not coming to temple. There's a place in hell for her. Come on. That isn't what God says. That isn't what Jesus said. That isn't what the Holy Spirit was leading. This is about loving people because he loved humanity. He loved them with all of his heart. And he loved them with his whole life. And he gave it up for them. And he gave it up for you. So you can be part of the plan, the continuing plan. So my question is, what are God's and the Holy Spirit's and Jesus' plan? I think you should write it down. I think you should ponder this. I think you need to answer that question. That is an answer from God. He's asking you, what are my plans for the next three months? And if you don't know what they are, you just go to him and ask him. You come together and you hear something that sounds good, come on, that he's doing. Then uh, somebody told me uh, this week after a meeting that we had here Thursday night for the building next door. And somebody said, I said, so what do you think? And he goes, I think that if you see what God is actually doing, join it. Become one with it. Go do what God is doing. Get in on that. Mary Magdalene did. The disciples did. Others did. If you see what God's doing, then get involved. That's what he was saying. I love that. Find out what God's doing. I've been telling you what God's doing. I told you what he's doing, the impossible over here. It's amazing. I don't have time to go into that, but it's amazing. He's not building another temple. Are you hearing me? He's not expanding this ministry. Are you hearing me? Nothing religious about that. This is Jesus. This is what he would do because he loves people. This is what it's going to be. It's not going to be. It's not about anything but him. We sang that today.
It's all about you. We, we've got no plans of building something that we think, <laughs> yeah, we're done with that. We're into life, and we're leaving death behind, the death of religion, because the letter kills. Come on. It's about love. Now, now this is my next question. We've got two questions today. What is your intentional pursuit going to be in the next three months? Mary Magdalene had an idea. Do you know? She found a way to express it. She was hanging out with him all the time. She walked in humility. She loved him. She would do anything for him. She was one of the first ones back there. She watched him die. She watched him suffer. She was one of the first ones with a, with a spirit of courage that she had to lay hold of somewhere because the others were shaking in their boots that they'd, get, they'd be the next one on the grass. And they all ran, but she came back the next day to see what was going on, secretly peeking. And she was around when Jesus appeared. Come on. She was one of the first ones to see him when he rose again. But what is your intentional pursuit going to be in the next three months? As you set your eyes on him, as you set your focus on him, you're changed. You might start out at the beginning of the three months with one idea, but as you keep looking to him and you keep growing your relationship with him and you keep figuring out what he's doing, your IP is going to change and get bigger and more powerful. Come on. It's going to be filled with miracles because we're in the season of miracles, right? We're in the season of miracles. Come on. And those who function in daily life, and follow the leading influence of God's Spirit. That means those who are led by His Spirit. We put it right into our daily life. And what we do, that whispering, the small, still voice that tells you I want you part of this. I, I, I would really love it if you would do this. I would really love it if you would spend some time with this one that I died for that doesn't know me and just share your story with them. Just go and help them out. They're really suffering. She was just in a divorce and her heart's broken and she's losing everything. Go and, go and heal her. Just go and love her. Ask her what you can do and help. See, this is, this is what Jesus does. Don't invite her to the next Bible study. Sure, if you feel like it, you can invite her to come with you to church, but that's after you've built a relationship. You build a relationship with that person. That's what Jesus did with me. That's what Jesus did with you. It's really not rocket science. It's just love in action. And then my third question is just general. And I want you to take this to heart. 
What will others be talking about wherever the gospel is shared and preached in the future that you did? That you did. 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 What will continue to be spoken about as we've spoken about what Mary did? What will be continued spoken about that you did? Not for your fame. We, we don't do things for that. But we just share the story of something that impacted our heart and changed our lives because we said, that looks like, that looks like Jesus and, and what he'd do. And I want, that's, that's what I want to do. I want to do stuff like that. I want to give. And I want to give my all. And your intentional pursuit, what will be spoken about? What would Jesus say about it? Like he did about Mary's. I'm closing right now. John 3.16, you all know that scripture. You've seen it on the football stadiums and everywhere on the back of cars and everything else. For God so loved the world. He wasn't talking about planet Earth, just planet Earth. The world, humanity, that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall be saved. Come on. We all know that. And I pray that. I, I, I pray it as a declaration prayer today. And I, uh, Father, I pray that we can receive you and receive him, Jesus, as the gift of love that you intended. And that we will always remember it is about relationship. It's all about relationship with him and knowing him. One of the things that was asked of Jesus as a trick question just before he died, you know, the weeks or so before, a lawyer came up and they were looking for something else that he'd say that they could trick him in and they could hang him on. And they said, uh, teach us, uh, tell us, uh, which one of the commandments is the greatest? Which one do you say, Jesus, is the greatest commandment? And Jesus gave this as the answer. He said, the greatest commandment is that you would love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Paraphrasing it here, with everything you have, every possession, everything that involves your world. And then he said, and there's another one that's just like it. In fact, he didn't say it was the greatest. He actually put these side by side, okay, side by side. And he says there's one that's equal to it, equal. And this is what I leave you with today. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the greatest things on his mind. That is God's intentional pursuit. If you want to know, that's top of the list. 
that on your list. I want you actively doing that and then break that down, how you can do that. Peter said, above all things, have intense, in 1 Peter 4, 8, above all things, have intense and unfailing love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sins. That's Jesus in action. That is Jesus in action. That is you in action. That is what he asked us to do. Perfect love casts out all fear. When you can love someone like that, you, you cast out all fear of their past life. And you, and you escort them into their glorious future and destiny. This is love. Love forgives and disregards the offenses of others. You can't love people and be offended by them. If you struggle with it, you just keep struggling until it's over. And you've got that under your feet and under his feet. Because love cannot become offended itself. The love of God. Amen. May God seal this word to your heart, to your minds, your spirits as we move forward together as God's family. Amen? Amen. Amen.